So we have this idea of Christian. We use this word Christian. It's like an overfilled water balloon. It, it's just, it just is filled with so much, it come to the point where it doesn't really mean anything. It means something to people who are outside the church, and usually it's negative, right? But then it means different things for people within the church. That if you're part of the church, Christian means various things, and it's just kind of, it's hard to say, well, what does it mean? So what we want to do, what we want to do in this series, it's just going to be four weeks, we're going to just talk about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does the Bible say about a Christian? And if we were to boil it down and say, okay, so I'm a Christian, what does that mean in my day-to-day life? What practically, what are the implications of being a Christian? What does it mean? And so if we could boil it down into just like four basic things, what would they be? So here's, here's kind of what we come up with. Jesus gives us the great commands. What are the great commands? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Second one, so that's one, right? And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. Next weekend, we're going to talk about the great mission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. So we're to uh, share the gospel in loving and creative ways to, to a world that is, that is lost. That scripture says it's lost. So that's number two. Number three is that we give our time, our talent, and our money to God in his kingdom. That we don't be, we're we're not devoured or controlled by materialism, but we use the resources that God has given us as good stewards for his kingdom and for his work. And that's number three. And then number four is that we connect with his community, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. It's not just me and Jesus. It's Jesus and us, his church. He calls the church his bride, and we're, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. So we're going to talk about that over the next four weeks. But today we're going to talk about this whole idea of what does it mean to love God and love others. And you say, yeah, I think I already know that. But as we move through this, I think you'll see that there's some real implications to this and that they're kind of tied together very tightly. Um, so whether you're in, here in-house or online, um, would you turn to Mark chapter uh, 12? And we're going to talk about um, a very interesting account where um, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus. And he's going to question Jesus. Because Jesus is in the midst of a lot of controversy. A lot of the religious leaders are coming to him. And they're trying to get a, have a, a gotcha moment, an aha moment. You know, we gotcha. You know, you're not who you say you are. But it seems as though this teacher of the law is kind of like Nicodemus. He hasn't totally judged Jesus as as negatively. He's still, the jury's still out in his mind. And he's still honestly searching for the truth. And you'll see that come out as we read through this. So not all the teachers of the law, not all the Pharisees were bad. Okay? And not all of them were were just hell-bent and just putting Jesus to death. Uh, There were some that were still searching and seeking. And so let me read that passage to you, and then we'll talk about what does it mean uh, for us. So this is Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God 
the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no one but him. To love with him with all your heart and all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, in the Old Testament, somebody a long time ago, you know, added up all the commandments. And there's around 613 commands in the Old Testament. And Jesus kind of summarized them into two. And uh, they really come from, the, the, the answer that Jesus gave is, they come from two sources. The first one, uh, the command to love God with everything that we are and everything that we have is Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, and it's a very famous passage. It's called the Shema, and the reason it's called the Shema is because the first word, the first Hebrew word is Shema, which means hear, and you'll get that as, you read this, as I read this passage. So this is Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And then in Leviticus 19, 18, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus took these two commands, and he said these two commands, basically you could take all the 613 commands, and you can boil them down to these two commands. Now we know in the Ten Commandments, we have roughly three that relate to our relationship to God, and the, the other relate to one another, so it's kind of broken down that way. But Jesus breaks it down to two commands. So what I want to do is I want to talk about what does it mean to love God and to love others. Now the interesting thing about this is you don't have to be, you, you, could, be a, you could be a Christian for 30 years and, and follow and, you know, love God and love others. You could be a Christian for 30 minutes or 30 days and still do the same thing. See, it's, it, it's not based upon how long you've been a Christian. These are things that you just do if you are a Christian. They, they, you won't do them perfectly, but this is who you are. So let me give you three things that I think we can draw from this. Number one, loving God is the basis for loving others. You will never love others the way that you're supposed to until you love God. And there's a big difference between believing in God and loving God. There's a lot of people this weekend that will be worshiping God, and they believe in God, but they don't love God. You have friends. You have neighbors. Uh, they, you, you've told them that you're going to church, and you, you may let it slip that you love Jesus, and they go, and, and they're very religious, and they, they would say, what, what do you mean? You love Jesus. I mean, you, you go to church, and you do what you're supposed to do, but this whole loving thing, this is getting a little bit too far you know it's a little too much i mean i believe in god but let's not talk about love and all that stuff that just gets a little whacked out see there's many people that they follow the law they follow the commands they follow the rules and the regulations as a way to appease god they do them because they have to not because they want to they do that not out of duty uh, not of desire, but out of duty. And there's others that, that follow the commands to please God. They, they do it because they love God, because they're motivated to. They don't do it because they have to. They do, do it because they want to. 
Now think about your life as you, you think about the commands and loving God and, and why is, what's your motivation because that really is what it comes down to. Because here's the problem. When you just appease God, when you just follow the commands because that's what you're supposed to do, that's the way you were raised, that's your tradition, that's what you're, you feel like you should do, all you're doing there is you are, you are appeasing God and, and you, it'll, lead to, it'll lead to hypocrisy and it leads to heartless obedience. Some of you have kids and they do things and do it. There, there's that heartless obedience, right? They just do it because they have to. But then the, you have those moments <laughs> where they do it because they just want to please you. There's a whole difference, isn't there? Jesus said this to that whole heartless, heartless obedience. He said this to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you clean out the, the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and, and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. And Jesus is continually calling us as his followers, as his children and his sons and daughters to look at our hearts, to examine our hearts and see, is your heart in it? You know what I mean when, when, when I say, is your heart in it? Some people go through the motions, their heart isn't in it. And Jesus said this in Luke 6.45, a good man brings good things out of a, the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings forth evil things out of evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, until you love uh, and know God, until you love and know him, you'll follow the law heartlessly. You'll do it out of duty without desire. And some people say there's, a, there's this wall between law and love. There's either law or love, right? And, and many people say, well, I choose love. Well, you know what? They're not in conflict. In fact, Jesus said this. Uh, he brings law and love together. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Okay, so that's kind of pulling them together, isn't it, right? So there's no division between law and love. If you love, my, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if you're a mother or a father, and you have a five-year-old that's just giving you a day, right? They're disobeying, they're just not respecting, they're saying awful things, they're, they're not helping out, and then at the end of the day, when you tuck them in, they go, I love you, mommy. You go, you got a strange way of showing me, right? I mean, you've had, some of you have had this happen. I mean, I'll raise my hand. I have had it happen, right? Uh, but, but the thing is, you, you, the bottom line is there's a difference between saying I love you. In fact, John in his epistle says this, Dear children, let us not love in words or speech, but in actions and in truth. And sometimes we as parents would love to quote that to our kids. <laughs> so that's the first thing. The basis of loving others is you have to begin with the love of God. Not knowing that he exists, but actually having a relationship and loving him. Here's the second thing. Keeping his commandments is how we love God and love others. You see, we don't naturally love God and love others. If, if you're honest, and I hope you, you look pretty honest, um, some of you, um, 
but essentially, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're honest, you will admit you tend to be a little selfish. And if you can want to ask your partner on the way home or a friend of you if you're honest, if you're, if you're a little selfish, they'll let you know. But the biggest hurdle, I think, to loving God and loving others is our own selfishness. In fact, if you look at the second command that Jesus gave, he says, love God with everything you are and everything you have, right? And then love your neighbor, what? As yourself. Now, what does he mean there? He means, like, you kind of got that one down. Take a little about what you're doing for yourself and turn it around to other people. Loving yourself, and I think what essentially what Jesus is saying in the second command is you naturally love yourself, now start turning that towards others, right? That's what he's saying here. But when we limit the definition, what we tend to do is, what we want to do is we want to change the definition of neighbor. So in this parable, Jesus, in this story that Jesus uh, tells, he basically says, uh, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And what we want to do, and this is, uh, by the way, if, you, if you're in a life group, we, we encourage you all to get into a life group. And we can do, a lot of those are being done online right now, video-based. Um, but we're going to talk a lot about the parable of the, good, of the Good Samaritan. What's the parable of the Good Samaritan? Do you know the context there? The context is that a teacher of the lost Pharisee comes to Jesus and says, well, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? So what's he doing there? He's trying to limit who his neighbor is, right? That's kind of going to be one of the discussions. You're going to go a little deeper into what that means and kind of how we try to limit who our neighbor is, who we have to love, right? Um, but here's the point. If we see loving God and others as a duty to be done, a law to follow, we've missed something critical. We've put the law and love in conflict. But the law and love is not in conflict. Uh, his law and love work together. You can't love another person without following God's law, and you can't keep his law without love. You really don't love God if you don't keep his commandments. Uh, you, you, if you don't keep his commandments, you can't say that you love God. And that's what, what John brings out in 1 John. He says this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. See, there's love and commands brought together again. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands him is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. And that's the point. Love and law come together. They aren't separate. There's not a wall between them. They are tied together. Let me give you an example. When you commit adultery with a, a woman or a man who's not your wife or husband, not your spouse, you are not only disobeying a command, but you are not loving your spouse, right? Right? You're essentially not loving your spouse. So uh, the point here is there's various commands not to murder, not to steal, not to commit adultery. And those commands aren't just calling us to refrain from bad behavior. They're calling us to love one another. Because when you steal, when you commit adultery, when you uh, do all those different things, you're not loving your neighbor. They're tied together. See, if you, it's interesting, too, when you go to the context of Leviticus 19, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, 
uh, you'll see there's many other practical examples of this. This is really interesting to me. This is what it means to love your neighbor. All right, let me give you some of the examples. Verse 10, if you love your neighbor, you will care for the poor. Verse 11, if you love your neighbor, you won't steal. Verse 11, if you uh, love your neighbor, you won't lie. Verse 14, if you love your neighbor, you, won't do, you will be fair in your business dealings. Uh, verse uh, 14, if you love your neighbor, you'll care for the deaf and the blind. Verse 15, if you love your neighbor, you'll deal justly with all. Number, verse 16, if you love your neighbor, you'll avoid slander. And verse 17, if you love your neighbor, you'll, hate, you'll, you'll not hate your brother in your heart. And in verse 18, if you love your neighbor, you'll not bear a grudge or take revenge. This, this is what it means to love your neighbor. But again, it just turns into duty if you're just trying to follow the law and you don't have that loving relationship with God, right? Because love has always got to be the driving force for you keeping the law. Otherwise, it turns into um, legalism. All right, let me give you a contemporary example. Some of you are on Facebook and on YouTube, and you saw I made a couple videos this week. So we have this uh, incredible problem in our border. We have uh, 20,000 unaccompanied children that have crossed into America. We can have a debate. We can have an argument about why they're here, what's wrong with their parents, why did they come, why didn't they just stay there, you know, we need to protect our, you can get into all that debate. Here's the problem. They're here. 20,000 unaccompanied children are in our country right now, and they need help right now. Whatever you, whatever, however you feel about that, you can debate about that, you can leave it to the pundits and the politicians, they can debate it. The bottom line is there's a problem. We have a number of people that we've talked to in Texas where a lot of them are being moved. Houston, San Antonio, um, down on the border. We've talked to pastors. We've talked to others that are in the middle of all of this. And they basically said it is absolute nightmare. So we could argue about it. We could, we could sit here and say, well, they shouldn't be here. Or, you know, what's wrong? with You can do all that. Or we could be the church, and we can love our neighbor. We could do something. So Mark didn't talk about the Good Samaritan Fund. The reason Mark didn't talk about it is because I'm going to talk about it right now. If you want to help out, we are going to send every dime that we get for the Good Samaritan offering this weekend. It's going to go down to Texas. It's going to go down to organizations that are boots on the ground that are helping these children with food, clothing, shelter, whatever they need. That's it. That's, we decided we should be the church. This kind of sounds like a church thing. Doesn't sound like a government thing. Sounds like a church thing. So we want to be involved, and we want to be involved. We're going to do something next week, too, and we'll have more details about that. Again, we're talking to people who are boots on the ground. We're not just sending it off. We're sending it to people who are going, where it's going to make a difference. There's a parable that Jesus tells called the sheep and the goats. It's a very interesting parable. In this parable, it says this. Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. 
I was naked and you gave me some clothes. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then it says those who were gathered said, well, Lord, Lord, when did we do that? When did we see you in all these situations? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. This is one of those moments. I hope you'll decide to be part of it and know that most of you will be part of it. But here's our opportunity. And you say, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? This, this right here, it's right before our eyes. So you can argue about it, you can debate about it, but I don't think you want to do that one day with Jesus. Today's the day to act, do something. Okay, so here's the third point. And by the way, whether you're in-house here or online, if you just text giving, you'll have an opportunity to give to the, uh, to the Good Samaritan Fund that money this week, and we'll all go towards that. All right, here's the third point. So the first point was this. Loving God is the basis of loving others. If you, until you love God and, and have a relationship with God, you will not be equipped and be able to love others. Secondly, this whole idea of loving your neighbor is, is tied to obedience to God's commands. When you obey his commands, it is going to take you down a track where you're going to naturally, you'll just find it. You'll be loving you, your neighbor. <laughs> that just happens. Love and law come together, okay? Here's the third thing. On your own, you're powerless to, to love God and love others. So what I've just told you, so, so don't come to this message and say, oh, now he's given, you know, now I'm just going to ask you to try harder and do more. No, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm telling you now that everything I've told you up this point is humanly impossible. Unless you have the power of God, his spirit, unless you have that within you, you can't do this. You are powerless to do this. Have you ever read through the Sermon on the Mount? It's in, found in Matthew chapter 5, verse through 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically is talking about the law. And he basically says, you think you keep the law, right? You never killed your brother. You never killed anybody, but you hate your brother. Nah, he kind of failed. Uh, you never committed physical adultery with another one, but you did it in your head. Uh, you kind of failed. So you get through reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and you go, well, who could keep this? This is like impossible to keep. This is, there's no way I could keep. That's the point. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a list of more deeper laws to follow. It's just, you're going to fall short. You can't do this. And that's why God sent someone who could do it for you. See, when you read through these chapters, you're brought to a point you can't do this, that you and I don't measure up, that we all fall short, and that's why God sent his son. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, because we're all sinners and we all need a savior. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus came as a rescue party of one from heaven to earth. And he lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died, and he gave his life on the cross, and he said, it is finished. And he was buried, and last, Easter, last weekend we celebrate Easter where he rose. But the point of it is, we all, every one of us needed to be rescued. Every one of us need to be saved from our sin, because we can't save ourselves. 
See, Jesus kept the law perfectly and loved us deeply. Law and love are united, and law and love are united on the cross because two things are happening there. Number one, Jesus is keeping the law for you and for me perfectly. But also love, because greater love is no one than this that he would give his life. And that's what he did. So law and love are united on the cross as Jesus gave his life and kept the law for us. He kept the law for us and he gave his life for us. We need help. And that's why Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why did he give himself? Because he had to keep the, somebody had to keep the law for me. Why did he give himself for me? Because he loved me. And, 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 and notice what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified. It's no longer me. There's a new person. And, and when you get a... I always say this, when you get a grasp of what Christ has done for you and you understand the immensity of your sin and how far, he, how far God went for you, when you're in awe of that, when you become amazed by that, Paul says, when you begin to grasp from the height and the depth and the width and the length of, God, of Christ's love, when you begin to reflect upon that, when he says, will you love your neighbor? You go, sure, when? Where? Show me. You just do it. Have you ever been tremendously grateful for somebody? And then they ask you for a small favor and you go, yeah, what, what do you need me to do? Of course I'll do that. What, when do you need, yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're chomping at the bit, right? You're ready to go. And, 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 and that's when you have a grasp of what Christ has done for you. You don't do, him to pay him, you, you don't do it to pay him back because you know you never pay him back. That's not the point. But you do it. And it's not a duty. It's a desire. It's a delight. You see, he saved us when we could not save ourselves. Paul says in Romans 5, 6, he says, you see that at the right time, when we were still powerless, he goes on, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then he says in verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his, the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Are you a mature Christian? Are you? Do you love God or is it a duty? Uh, do, you, do you keep the law when it's convenient or when you feel like it? Or do you just really take it seriously that, that part of the way I show my love for God is that I keep the law? And, and, and I do love my neighbor. And I'm not going to try to limit who my neighbor is because whoever God brings across my path who has a need is my neighbor. That's essentially the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to pass them by like the other two religious leaders. I'm going to do something here. It's being available for what God wants to do. Now, the, here's the good thing about this. We have this idea within Christianity that a mature Christian is somebody who's been a Christian for a long time. That may be. Or we have this idea that a mature Christian is somebody who knows the Bible from cover to cover. That may be. But what the Bible says is a mature Christian is somebody who loves God with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. And they love their neighbor as yourself. And you could be a mature Christian or you can behave like a mature Christian. Whether you've been a Christian for 30 days 
30 seconds for 30 years. You can also be a Christian for 30 years and still not get that idea. And you're just following the law out of duty. So, where are you today? In-house, where's your heart? Watching online, whether you're watching right now or you're watching after the fact, later on, another time, what is God, what is God's spirit, what is Jesus saying to your heart today about loving your neighbor as yourself? Let's stand together. Father, help us not to put law and love in conflict with each other. Help us to understand that we have an incredible example before us of Jesus. He showed us what love was meant to be. He showed us love by giving his life, by following the law, by taking the sacrifice that we deserve, by living the life we should have lived. He showed us love by giving his life greater love. Father, your word says then, is this, greater love is that there's no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Father, as we leave this place, whether we're in house or watching online, help us to be different. Help us to be in awe of your love for us and amazed by how far you would go to love us. And may that change our hearts so that we stop looking at our own lives and our own needs and look outside of ourselves and see others in pain, in trouble, and help them out. Help us to be a good neighbor. Help us to bring glory to you. Father, Jesus prayed in his prayer. Father, I pray that they would be one, that they would love one another in such a powerful way that the world would stop and take notice. Help us, Father, to do that, to really reflect your love. But most of all, Father, help each and every one of us take whatever step we need to take so that we behave like your sons and your daughters. We ask this in Jesus' name.